This week we discuss the discovery of new cannabinoids, the changes ahead for the cannabis industry, and going back to the future of cannabis farming, coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. Danny Danko. Uh, my real name, Daniel Vinkovetsky. I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia. I grew up in Boston and live in New York City for the last 20 years. I'm a cannabis activist and cultivation writer and podcaster dealing with the subject of marijuana growing. That drum and bassy goodness you just heard was a very aptly titled track called Grow Bigger by an artist called Beatfox. That's fox with an X. So thanks to a spelling technicality, it's not a swear word and therefore not offensive. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it, FCC and any other internet sensors that might be listening. Anyway, we have a fantastic guest this week. Mr. Danny Danko of High Times fame was kind enough to chit-chat with us via Skype about all things cannabis just before 4.20, which I hope everyone celebrated the best way they could, given the circumstances. Some of you may already know Danny from his work as Senior Cultivation Editor for High Times Magazine. He has also selected their annual Top 10 Strains of the Year since 2005. He founded the High Times Seed Bank Hall of Fame, is the author of the official High Times Field Guide to Marijuana Strains, as well as his latest book, Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana. He has interviewed the likes of Manu Chao, Method Man, and Red Man. Additionally, he hosts the Free Weed Podcast, guests of which include Jorge Cervantes, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, and Tommy Chong, to name just a few. He's also a photographer and family man, and he has judged more cannabis cups than anyone else on Earth. Sadly, he can't say the same for outer space and beyond, but hey, you gotta start somewhere. At any rate, Danny's definitely been around the block and knows a thing or two about mother cannabis, so we begin with how he was bitten by the cannabis bug. Um, well, at a very young age, I basically, uh, tr- you know, I tried it around age, I would say 13 or so, 
and immediately, you know, enjoyed it and thought, you know, this is silly that this is illegal and uh, didn't didn't like drinking quite as much. Uh, although, you know, I still have I, I do drink, but uh, I just enjoyed uh, marijuana more and sort of little by little started getting more and more interested in it and started sort of buying larger amounts and, and hooking up my friends and things like that. And that sort of led me to uh, one day I saw a friend had a, a small closet in their in their apartment and in, inside the closet they had a light and, and under the light um, they were f- growing flowering marijuana plants. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought you needed acres of fields outside in, you know, in South America or something to grow marijuana. That's what, you know, the impression was because everything that was imported was coming from outside the States at that time. You know, we're talking about you know, mid, mid to late 1980s. And so it kind of blew my mind to see it at such a young age uh, that you could grow indoors and, and, and it could pull it off because at that time, you know, no internet, not, not a lot of information, not a lot, not even a lot of places to buy the equipment to actually do it. So, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to drive for hours to find a, a shop that actually sold grow lights or, you know, the equipment to, to cultivate. But I did, and I started up, you know, cultivating my own. And I realized that this is a much better thing than, uh, you know, than buying and selling it because you're just producing it out of thin air. You're, you're using light and water and, and nutrients and you're making something at that time worth more than its weight in gold. Uh, and, you know, so I was motivated at the time, you know, by love of cannabis, but also by, you know, financial concerns. I, I had moved to New York uh, after college at Boston University. Uh, New York is just an expensive place to live. And I realized, you know, I could do this thing that would help me pay my rent and pay my bills. And I became more and more political about it, just seeing all of the injustice around me. You know, I, I, uh, I had a few friends go to prison. I had a few friends get robbed, you know, at gunpoint and and all of it just seemed so unnecessary. And you hear the stories. I mean, those are like stories of people I know, but then you hear about all the people you don't know and all the bad things that are happening to them and their dogs are getting shot in the face in these raids. And it just started getting me more and more interested in the political side of things. And uh, I read Jack Herrer's book, uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And it really sort of, jump started me into becoming more political. So as I was, you know, growing on the side, I was also getting more and more interested in, you know, the protest scene, the Million Marijuana March, the Boston Freedom Rally, Seattle Hempfest, all of these protestables, so to speak, where we would be celebrating our love of cannabis, but also protesting for the freedom of the prisoners and for the, our own freedom as citizens. And that got me more and more interested in the politics. And then Around 96 or 97, I started working for a hemp clothing company called Headcase. We made hemp baseball hats and T-shirts and things like that. And I luckily, you know, got to go over to Amsterdam in the in the in the you know late 90s um, with that company because they didn't want to pay you know the taxes on shipping these hats. So it was cheaper to just send me with a duffel bag full of hats. Um, and the hats were for, you know, Sensi Seed Bank and TH Seeds and Hemp Hood Lab and, you know, Serious Seeds. All the companies that had come out at that time all wanted, you know, a couple of dozen of these hats to promote their companies or just to have for themselves. And so I got to meet everybody. I met Soma and I met, you know, Aryan and I met everyone, you know, face to face. Adam from 
uh, THC seeds and dug and, and it really blew my mind. And I came home with, you know, better seeds and genetics and, and, you know, kind of a fire in my belly, uh, to make changes back home. Because when you sit in a coffee shop in Amsterdam and you realize how civilized this activity is to order from a menu and then just sit down and roll a spliff and, and smoke it and have a cup of coffee, it, it almost brought tears to my eyes. In fact, uh, to see, you know, the bikes going by and the, the world is, the world continues and I'm just here enjoying this healing flower, you know, as opposed to some dangerous narcotic. And so I came home with that fire in my belly and, you know, I moved on from head case and I, I worked, uh, I got a job at high times. The words, I got a job at high times are without a doubt what every stoner wishes he or she could say to all the naysayers and detractors who said they would never amount to anything. But for so many of us, it'd be like winning the lottery. However, in Danny's case, it wasn't just luck, but we'll get more into that story in just a few moments. But like many cannabis enthusiasts, myself included, Danny thought cultivating cannabis was very complicated. And while the process of producing things like concentrates and edibles can be complicated depending on what it is you're doing, the cannabis plant does most of the work for us, at least in terms of producing an array of medicinal compounds called cannabinoids, which our body actually requires. It's just a matter of getting them from the plant and into our endocannabinoid receptors. Decades of propaganda throughout the world have left most people in the dark about how cannabis grows and works, and they've also tried to blacken out the significance of cannabis in our various cultures throughout history. So, like many other activists, Danny was radicalized particularly after seeing all the injustices happening around this one plant. Enjoying a spliff in a coffee shop in Amsterdam may not seem like a big deal these days, but when you contrast it with the way people are still treated throughout the world for the very same substance, you would probably get a little upset too. Enter Jack Herrer, whom Danny also mentioned. For the uninformed, Jack Herrer was the author of a fascinating book titled The Emperor Wears No Clothes. If you haven't read it, you have no excuses to not read it now. It is absolutely full of information and stories on the cannabis plant that you probably didn't even know were true. If this book doesn't radicalize you, nothing will, and you're probably a narc or FBI informant. Jack Herrer was one of the first people to loudly and proudly speak about the benefits of the cannabis plant and the failings of prohibition. Without him, the legalization movement would be that much poorer. But back to Danny and how we got to working for High Times. We, we were like the only two companies on the East Coast that even had anything to do with cannabis at the time. Um, High Times has been around now 45 years. I was an avid reader of the magazine already because, uh, because of the growing. And I, uh, I was also on the softball team, you know, and I was friendly with the, the staff. So it was, pretty, it was a pretty easy integration for me to start working at the magazine. Um, part-time, I guess, around 2000, 2001. And then I, they took me on full-time in 2002. So um, I started, you know, literally just answering the phone, breaking down boxes, whatever I could do basically to help uh, them out. And then little by little sort of worked my way into uh, a writing position as a you know, cultivation reporter. And then uh, Kyle Cushman around 2004 or five or so, I think he moved to California uh, from from High Times and from New York, and I sort of took over his position as the cultivation editor and writer. Uh, and then uh, Jorge Cervantes at the time was writing his column in the magazine, which 
you know, was originally Ed Rosenthal had Ask Ed, then Jorge took over with Jorge's RX, and then uh, Jorge, you know, just sort of got burnt out and tired of having to do this this job every month, and he bequeathed it to me and said, you know, I know you can do it, and he, you know, instilled confidence in me that I could take over, so I started the Dear Danko column and started writing, you know, answering people's questions that they were sending us at that time, mostly snail mail, <laughs> you know, and then became more email. But, uh, uh, and then in 2011, I wrote, you know, I was always writing articles every month for the magazine, uh, top 10 strains of the year, um, you know, going and visiting people's gardens, doing profiles of their grows, um, you know, seed companies, all, all, all the sort of cultivation related stuff and strain related stuff uh, for the magazine. So in 2011, we sort of compiled a bunch of that stuff together. And I did the uh, official High Times Field Guide to Marijuana Strains. And so it was like 130 different strains with the descriptions and photos. And and, and that sold really well and uh, did great. And that, so I started a podcast at the time called Free Weed from Danny Danko. And, you know, to date, we've done about 103 episodes uh, because, you know, it was kind of a side gig. It wasn't like we did it weekly. We did it kind of when we had time or when the, a special guest would, would come by the office and so, uh, and then, in, you know, just in 2018, I released uh, a book separately from High Times uh, with a, a publisher in the UK called uh, Cannabis, The Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana. And that book's been selling amazingly. I think there's a lot of interest, I think, especially now, you know, with people being stuck at home and not necessarily maybe even having access to cannabis uh, to grow their own. So I think, you know, people are sort of starved for information about how to create their own uh, cannabis, you know, medicine. And uh, so fast forward to now, and it's the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis and everything. And I, you know, uh, they, they, they laid me off, uh, you know, due to the crisis and hope, you know, maybe the, there's the possibility of, of coming back after all this is over. Uh in the meantime, you know, I'm just selling my book and uh, trying to relaunch the podcast and uh, trying to survive, <laughs> you know. Luckily, you know, I have some cannabis and some uh, some hashish and stuff. So, you know, no no issues uh, with that. But uh, but I know that there's people out there who don't. And I know that there's a lot of people interested in uh, cultivation and uh, you know, especially from the medicinal side as well. I mean, there's some people who need cannabis uh, to survive. And, uh, you know, I know some people may consider that hyperbole, but I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life who've told me that this plant saved their life. Uh, I mean, people in tears, veterans who were going to commit suicides, you know, seniors who just were at their wits end uh, as far as pharmaceutical drugs that they were taking, you know, and all of these issues. So it's real. I mean, this is a healing medicine. Uh, sh sure, there's people who just enjoy getting high, and I'm one of those people as well. You know, I do like it. Uh, you mentioned alcohol earlier. It's far, far safer than alcohol, and even the people who are anti-cannabis can't really argue with that. I mean, that's clear as day. You see how many deaths are caused by alcohol, how much violence, how much just absolute, you know, mayhem uh, you know, and alcohol is a poison. I mean, just because you dilute it doesn't mean it, it, it doesn't kill you. And cannabis, you know, an overdose of cannabis is called a nap, <laughs> you know. So 
I, I just think that that's an important thing for people, especially I, I think, you know, from from Eastern Europe, because having come from there uh, and knowing, you know, the, the culture of alcohol abuse in, in Russia and Poland and all throughout Eastern Europe, you know, it really is like a plague in some ways. I mean, uh, some people use it responsibly, but there's certainly people who are just completely out of control and addicted and it's awful. It's, it's really, really awful. And I think for those people, if they replace, like Jack Harrow said, if you replace opiates, cannabis, uh, opiates, alcohol, uh, tobacco, which people smoke a lot, you know, in Eastern Europe as well. If you replace those things with cannabis, you will add years to your life. And you can see that, uh, you know, the death rates are higher from all of those things in, you know, the places where they're being abused. So I would just encourage people, you know, to at least try it for themselves. And, and if they don't want to smoke, that you can vaporize, you can try a tincture, you can use uh, edibles, you know, there's many different ways to consume it and, you know, feed your endocannabinoid system. It's certainly sad to hear that Danny's time at High Times has ended, at least for now, especially when you consider how prolific he's been there, but fingers crossed they bring him back at some point, as I'm sure many of his fans would be thrilled. But the magazine, of course, isn't the only thing undergoing change due to the virus. Everything seems to be in flux or up in the air, and we still don't know what things will look like when they've declared it safe for people to come out of their homes. I wanted to know whether Danny thought we will see changes on the cannabis front in the near future as a result of the COVID situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I hope so. And I think, you know, in, inevitably that will happen. But I think the most immediate concern for me personally are the cannabis prisoners, the nonviolent uh, offenders who have been locked up in jail, even in Illinois and other places where, you know, the laws have changed. And I think it's inhumane to put, you know, a nonviolent person into a prison for a victimless crime. And then now, you know, with the situation we're in, it's, it's absolutely heartless to leave them there uh, to die, basically, or to catch this disease. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying release every criminal in, you know, in the world. I'm saying if someone has been deemed to be a nonviolent cannabis offender, you know, no, no, guns, none of, you know, no murder, no rape, none, nothing like that, that person sh should be released from prison in, immediately, you know, and I think, and there's thousands and thousands of those type of people still locked up here in the States. And, and so that's my main immediate concern. I think, you know, even in places where we have recreational, I think it's important that we get home grow, you know, so that even if it's limited plant amounts, six plants, 12 plants, whatever it might be, I think every patient deserves the right, every rec, rec user deserves the right to produce their own cannabis, just like you can brew your own beer uh, without selling it, you know, to in the, in the street to people, I'm saying for personal use. And the third thing is social use. I mean, even though right now we're social distancing, there will come a time when we get back together. Now, we may not be passing joints to each other uh, or bombs and things like that. But we want places where people, seniors and, and veterans and, and cannabis users who share, you know, the love of this plant, you know, can get together and, you know, appreciate it and enjoy it in safety. And, you know, just like, you know, people have bars that they, they, where they go to or, you know, any other kind of establishment. And I, so to me, those are the three important things for us to focus in the future uh, is the prisoners, home grow and social use. And I do think that the attitudes are changing, obviously, state by state. And now it's it's not 
you know, as big of a concern, I think, politically, you know, because everyone's so worried about staying alive and survival. Uh, so even here in New York, where originally, we, we, you know, the governor had it in the budget for this year to, to legalize recreational use, or we should say just adult use, you know, uh, now that's out of the budget because all of that budget is going to coronavirus relief. Uh, and so they just put it off another year, basically. Uh, I know he wants it to happen. I know the state, you know, the legislators want to ha- want for the majority want it to happen. The people certainly, obviously, you know, 75, 80 percent of New Yorkers um, support that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's it's baby steps and it's two steps forward, one step back kind of situation. Uh, but I do think that, you know, ultimately, obviously, as we can see the trajectory more and more states will become legal, and at some point, federal government has to respond to that and uh, legalize on a national level. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm hopeful, but I'm also cautiously optimistic <laughs> about, you know, where we're going with that. So we probably won't see immediate changes to cannabis laws, but to echo Danny, perceptions have been changing around the globe for some time now. And if there's any silver lining in the COVID-19 situation, it's that it exposes silly laws and ineffective policies for what they are, which may ultimately help push legalization or at least decriminalization over the edge. When you look at history over the past century or so, especially recent cannabis history, it may seem like nothing changes for decades. And then out of the blue... Decades of change happen in a matter of a few weeks. So while I'm not about to say that legalization or major breakthroughs will happen as soon as they declare the pandemic to be over, I do have a gut feeling that it won't be very long before we're forced to adapt to this new reality we find ourselves in. It's still too early to make a prediction, but nature bouncing back and pollution clearing up are very good indicators of what could happen, though it ultimately depends on whether humans will actually learn from the situation. Speaking of the future, with Danny having so much knowledge and experience in the field of cannabis current events, I wanted to pick his brain a bit about what developments in the cannabis world there are on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of research is being done in cannabinoids uh, separated, you know, and, or, or uh, concentrated minor cannabinoids. So everybody right now is talking about CBD, of course, but I think that CBG, CBN, uh, THCA, THCV, and a bunch of other ones. I mean, there's over 100, you know, there's over 150 uh, different, you know, cannabinoids and terpenoids and flavonoids. So these are all the different sort of elements that are within the essential oil of cannabis. And I do think that, uh, you know, the isolation of those elements and then the combination of them uh, is going to revolutionize how we treat ourselves. So, for instance, CBN is a sleep aid. You know, it helps people sleep. It's, it's it, you know, it's the de- degraded THC. It's when THC basically degrades, it degrades into CBN. And it, and it makes, it's lethargic. You know, you smoke that and it's like couch lock. You know, it's what how people describe, you know, indica flowers, basically, or indica hash. And so, you know, a sleep aid that doesn't have the risk of, of overdose in the way that, you know, some of these others are all other sleep aids are, I think that's a very valuable thing. And I think things like THCV, THCA, things that are appetite suppressants in, in cannabis and, and appetite stimulants. So both of those things exist in this one plant, you know, when you isolate them and both of those things are very valuable, uh, medicinally, uh, appetite, 
you know, stimulants for people who can't eat, you know, for different reasons, for nausea uh, due to chemotherapy uh, and that sort of thing. And then appetite suppressants. I mean, you know, think about it. It's, they, you know, the pharmaceutical industry found an appetite suppressant without, you know, any side effects or, you know, perceivable side effects the way that most of the other things they make have. It's, you know, that's that alone is a billion dollar industry. You know, each one of those things is its own little billion dollar industry. And I think that's kind of where we're going to go in the future. I think, you know, obviously prices of, of this product are dropping because the price is so much based on risk. You know, an ounce of marijuana is not worth $300. You know, it doesn't even cost $300 to produce. It costs probably $10 or less to produce. But all of that extra $290 in the past has been based on the fact that the person that was doing that took a risk. The person who they sold it to took a risk. That person who broke it up into smaller pieces took a risk. And ultimately, the person buying it's taking a risk. So, you know, that's where the prices were. And there was a limited amount of it. There was way more demand than supply. And there was even droughts. Well, now we're seeing a glut for the first time. I mean, we're seeing, we saw this in Oregon a couple of years ago where they grew, you know, a million pounds in one season legally, but they only have 4 million people in the whole state of Oregon. So you've got now a quarter pound of cannabis for every man, woman, and child in your state without really a tourism industry of people coming there just for cannabis purposes. So what happens? They're just sitting on that product. And so the price drops dramatically until you have you know, $10 ounces and $20 ounces. Uh, and so I do think that's part of the future as well. I think, you know, the retail, you know, buyer hasn't really quite caught up to that, but certainly the producers and, and the distributors are there. And one of the benefits of that, though, is that we can, you know, create these concentrated products, uh, tinctures and edibles and, and, you know, really break those, those terpenes down for different, effects uh and the cannabinoids also for different effect and it's not really the isolation of them so much as the combination of them back at different ratios so four to one or or five to one or two to one or one to one whatever that may be and then we also have to remember that cannabis affects different people differently so the same strain that makes you you know tired could could actually make me stimulated uh, to based on our physiology you know, edibles, the same thing. I mean, a 250-pound person eating the same edible as a 100-pound person is going to be affected completely differently. And it even, you know, even their body, you know, their whether they had a meal before they had the edible, you know, or whether they're eating that edible on an empty stomach. So there's so many factors. And, and, and I think now we're really getting into the science of it. Uh, it's been happening, you know, for a decade. And so they're you know, they're really breaking that down. And, uh, you know, I think that's really the future. You know, I think, you know, I'm kind of from the past because I like to smoke joints of cannabis flowers, <laughs> you know, but now you see, you know, younger people who've never even smoked flowers. They just started off with dabs and that's what they do. And to them, the flower is the vehicle, you know, and, and the, the, you know, the dab or the hash oil is the actual passenger. And, and so, you know, those type of extractions uh, of large, large fields of cannabis. I mean, you know, that's kind of what I see as the future. I, w- I would say, you know, there will always be a craft flower market. 
Um, I just think it's shrinking in comparison to all those other, you know, new ways to consume. I mean, there's patches and eye drops and, you know, there's so many different things you can do now with distillates and isolates. And, um, you know, it's really like the sky is the limit. It's nice to hear that prices will be coming down for consumers in the future and that concentrates will become more prominent. Now, while I'm personally in favor of whole plant, full-spectrum plant medicine, the isolation of individual cannabinoids does have immense potential in treating very specific conditions as well. So instead of popping pills Big Pharma has developed, we might be able to produce a specific cannabinoid for a specific illness or condition, such as THCV, which is an appetite suppressant and can be used to fight obesity and diabetes. Scientists are still discovering new cannabinoids all the time, and earlier this year, a group of Italian scientists discovered the phytocannabinoid THCP, which is allegedly 30 times stronger than THC. Danny goes into the detail about the concerns around the potency of this new discovery. Yeah, I mean, that's, that I did see those reports, uh, and that's pretty amazing because, again... Uh, people were saying like, oh, you know, you, you know, the, the scare tactic was to say, oh, this isn't your, your parents' marijuana. This stuff is much stronger. And to that argument, I say, great. I mean, then you just use less of it and it has, you know, you get a, a stronger dose from a smaller amount. You know, to me, that's not a bad thing. And especially when uh, you're working with something like a concentrate or a tincture where, you know, you want it to be lab tested so that if you say it's a thousand milligrams, it's a thousand milligrams, you know what I mean? And if you can get to those thousand milligrams quicker with less product, that's a good, you know, that's good business. That's good efficiency. That's good, you know, for sustainability and all of that, you know, in the cultivation world, we're seeing a lot of changes as well. And it's funny because you, we're going back to the future. We're going you know, closer to replicating mother nature. And so we're going to the past, you know, and people are doing no-till gardening and, and Korean jadam farming and all these sort of methods that people are using to be more natural and to improve the health of their soil so that they don't have to use as much nutrients and uh, ultimately basically feed the soil and improve it year after year. Um, by using organic materials and composting and 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 using also the beneficial bacteria and microbes as well as mycelium, which is, you know, how mushrooms and plant roots interact is, you know, it, it's fascinating. And it's an incredible symbiotic relationship that they have together. Uh, and I do think that uh, the more we learn, the more we, you know, we turn back. Cause I mean, when I started, you know, growing, you know, everybody wanted hydro, you know, everybody wanted, you know, and that was grown with chemicals in rock wool, you know, slabs under lights, you know, something, you know, they, these are plants that never uh, touched the sun and, or felt the earth, you know, they were just like lab grown things. And, some something was lost there, you know, and and we're getting it back by going back towards nature and saying, how do we replicate what happens in 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 the woods? Because there's no nutrients being added, <laughs> you know, in an old growth forest, it feeds itself. And uh, one of the things I've noticed from growing is that the plants, you know, 99% of 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 cannabis is overfed, 
and I'm talking organic cannabis, chemically fed, chemically grown cannabis, all of cannabis is overfed. And you can see this by just looking at the photographs or looking at the plants. If the tips of the leaves are burnt, you know, the just even just a little millimeter of the tip of the leaf, if that's burnt, which you see a lot, that plant is overfed, you know, that's a sign of overfeeding. And, you know, as growers, you think, oh, more food, bigger buds, you know, so I'll give it more food, bigger buds, more, but, you know, that's a very slippery slope. And ultimately, this is a, a product that we're consuming. And, you know, you don't want to use the type of nutrients you use for ornamentals. You know, this isn't something we're just displaying, you know, to, you know, to, to our friends, this is something we're actually combusting, we're burning it. And if it, if it's under, you know, properly fed, it'll burn to a clean white ash and it'll stay lit and it'll taste better and it'll feel better. And the overfed stuff, you know, tastes like charcoal and it burns like a piece of coal that you have to keep relighting. And it, you know, just isn't as pleasant of an experience at all, you know, and I think, we're learning that as well. We're learning to feed the plant properly, to, you know, grow it in the sun if, if, if at all possible, you know, and a greenhouse is the perfect solution there because you have the benefit of indoor with you controlling the environment and there's no, you know, rain and dust and, you know, try to keep the bugs out and all of that. And then, you know, you have the sunshine. And I, I do think that cannabis growing is, is moving out into greenhouses and outdoors because it's just not going to be worthwhile to financially to grow under these big grow lights in these big warehouses. Let's not also forget packaging. I mean, we are, we're using this like really unsustainable plastic packaging. And I think now I'm, I'm starting to see the packaging move towards, you know, biodegradable type things. And I think that's very important as well. I think Back to the Future is a very accurate description of where things are headed in the cannabis world, but not only the cannabis world. Danny mentioned the return to traditional farming methods versus corporate automated agriculture. And with the global economy supply chain affected by COVID-19, this is a potential way to get out of that crisis. Decentralization and localization. And as much as there is to say for indoor cultivation in terms of quality or security or privacy... It's still wasteful and not very sustainable in the long run, at least with the current state of technology. Plus, nature doesn't care about your bank account. So, like it or not, paying more attention to the environment and the planet is a part of these changes we're undergoing now. And now it's clearer than ever that we cannot neglect nature and the health of the environment without consequence. So, any advice for aspiring cannabis writers or anyone interested in becoming part of the industry? get your foot in the door. You know, I tell people, they always want to know, how do you get a job at high times? How do you get a job? I said, anybody can freelance, you know, anybody can submit an article. If you, if you do that, you're making another person's job easier. You know what I mean? So if you're any, I'd say that for any industry really is make someone else's job easier and they will keep you around. And so if there's an editor who needs an article you know, on cannabis growing every month and they're seeking those things out and you email them with an article with photos, you know, attached and it's all kind of almost built into the style of what you see. So if you read that, you know, you read the articles that are, that person's already editing and you try to make them exactly like that, creating the least amount of work for that person. Now that person's going to go to come to you time and time again. And when a job opens up, 
you know, like a full-time gig, they're going to say, Hey, this person's already been producing, you know, this work. And now they're, you know, now let's bring them in and see if they can be successful, you know, full-time. So, you know, I tell people just give it away to start, you know, in a way, I mean, it's counterintuitive, but at the same time, you know, that's how you get on the radar, you know, and then now you have a byline. Now you have something you can show other, you know, other publications or other places like, hey, I, I wrote this. Here's my name. And now you're there. And then, you know, so if you're freelancing, you you know, you can dip into an entire industry. You know, when we started, there was just high times. There was, you know, I remember cannabis culture in Canada and a few European magazines, High Life. And but, you know, it was not a competitive playing field right now in cannabis media. You know, you have a lot of different opportunities out there. I mean, looking back now, I would say, you know, just enjoy the ride. And, uh, you know, I never had a particular plan. You know, I just sort of had deadlines every month that I had to meet and then, you know, trips to go on and things like that. And it just kept adding up. But if you keep working hard and you keep meeting your deadlines and doing the work, uh, you, you know, somehow that turns into you know oh you're an og and you have this career and this and that and the other but at the time all i was thinking was i gotta write this article or wow i just met jack herrer or oh my god you know what an opportunity to hang out with the people you know i you know the, uh, i've been to more cannabis cups than anybody on earth you know so uh i got to meet all my heroes i mean i was a grower and then i got to meet the people who made the seeds that i was growing and so you know, the, it, it was a dream come true for me. And, you know, it didn't come without its uh, struggles. Uh, it certainly didn't come without that stigma and uh, that we talked about. And it didn't come without a lot of hard work, you know, but it was so much fun. And like the travel being the best part, you know, being able, having a job that allows you to see all these places and, and, and all this and some places where they don't even speak the same language as you. But you just put two fingers together in front of your face and, you know, uh, make that, you know, kind of international symbol for smoking a joint and the language barrier just disappears. And suddenly you're just cannabis consumers uh, who may not understand each other's language, but you definitely understand the vibe. And like, you know, I've had that experience in, in Spain where they don't understand a word I say and I don't understand a word they say, but we've hung out for hours just you know, <laughs> smoking, laughing, you know, like, you know, pointing and joking, kind of like, I don't know, just having a great time. But like, you know, with this amazing thing that we have in common um, and you can do that all around the world, you know, there might be a few places I wouldn't put on that list, but uh, you know, it's it, it's it's incredible, you know, savor and enjoy all of that and, you know, meet the deadlines, treat people in a respectful manner, um, listen to people, you know, don't don't try to talk over them or tell them, you know, sometimes the quietest person you you meet has the most to say, <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> or, or the, the most, most meaningful value, stuff to say. the most yeah. of value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they're just watching and waiting. So, you know, be humble, um, be proud uh, and enjoy. Say you mentioned CBD. I want to say rest in peace to Charlotte Fiji, who passed away last week. Uh, CBD pioneer, 13 year old girl um, with severe seizures and uh, 
and that just happened. And yesterday would would be would have been was the 10 year anniversary of the passing of Jack Herrer. So just want to note that as well. We have 4:20 coming up on Monday. Um, it was supposed to be a big, huge holiday this month. It's still going to be online, and there's a bunch of different things going on, and that's great. But uh, I just wanted to like throw one in the air for for some pioneers that we lost. That's some great advice and some very fine words to remember a couple people who have helped bring dramatic and much-needed change to the cannabis community. So where can we find Danny if we want to contact him? Ah, well, I have uh, Instagram is uh, Danny Denko HT, and then everywhere else it's just Danny Denko on Twitter and uh, Facebook. And, uh, you know, the podcast is in, you know, if they go on my social media uh, there's links to the to buy the book uh, on Amazon, and there's also links for the podcast. And I have a Patreon page uh, called Patreon.com/slash Danny Danko, uh, where the there's the podcast is there, and people can also sign up as patrons of the show and get exclusive content and giveaways, and basically support us as creators. Um, you know, rather than like the advertisers that pay to promote their products. Um, this is sort of like a tip to the people who make the content. And at the same time, get, you get extra content as well. And it's a kind of like a home for the podcast listeners where they can interact with me and uh, my co-host and co-producer, Mike G. Um, so it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Danny Denko. And I truly appreciate, you know, any amount that people can put towards those tips. You can also just follow us there and not, you know, pay into any of the tiers. But the lowest tier is $4.20 per month. And, uh, you know, it's really appreciated. It really helps us with pay for the bandwidth and the microphones and all the, you know, minutia of actually making a show. Um, so that's truly appreciated. And that's really like the home of the show. Uh, so. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, plug my stuff. I'd love to plug some more for Danny, but sadly, it's time to say farewell. Danny Denko, thank you for the wonderful chat. Uh, I had a great time talking uh, shop with you. It was uh, a blast, and uh, I also learned a lot. Uh, all the best with the Free the Weed podcast uh, and uh, any other projects that uh, you're involved in. And uh, I hope to see you at a, a trade fair or a grow room uh, someday once this uh, whole uh, virus situation is over. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for helping spread the word about this wonderful uh, healing plant. Hope you all enjoyed episode 37. Huge thanks again to the incredibly knowledgeable and passionate Danny Danko for the excellent interview. Never lose that fire in your belly, Danny. If you like this episode of the podcast, feel free to share with any and all. No masks or hand sanitizer required. If you haven't been furloughed, fired, laid off, or downsized, and still want to financially support the podcast, go to critical-grass.com and click the donate button. We appreciate any donation in these tough times. We will be back very soon with another exciting interview, so watch this space. As always, Bagdan. stay high, stay safe. Пока-пока, мои друзья.